Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Rabbi David Levine, and this is live from home. And I want to bring you my welcome as well as welcome from my wife, Sandy. I want to welcome all of the Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue Mishpocha and all of the podcast listeners from around the world and everyone who has joined us for Facebook Live now. This is Erev Shabbat on Friday, July 17th, 2020. And this evening, Eric Painter will welcome us into his home and lead us in Hebrew prayers and in worship, and then we'll study the scriptures together. Right now, I wanna ask you to hit the share button on this Facebook post so you can invite your Facebook friends to join us as we're getting started. And it's great for you to use the comments to put in the scripture references that we're using when we're doing our Bible studies together and to use also the full scripture to write those in or a pull quote from our teachings as we get ready to worship. Let's thank the Lord for Shabbat that we can be together, we can be with the Lord, and we can rest and be refreshed. And so, thank you, Lord, for this Shabbat. Thank you that we can enter into your rest and be refreshed. And from Sandy and me, I want to wish you Shabbat Shalom. Now let's join the Painter family and live from home. Shabbat Shalom. My name is Eric Painter. This is my wife, Anya. And we're so happy to have you in our home tonight. We'll begin with the lighting of the candles and then continue with some prayers. Blessed are you, the Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us in your word and given us Yeshua, our Messiah, and commanded us to be light to the world. Amen. Shema Yisrael Adonai children of Israel shall keep the Shabbat, observing it throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Shabbat to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Shabbat, the door 
This is Rabbi Yuri. Shabbat Shalom Mishpacha. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our home. Thank you, Eric and Anya, for ushering us into Shabbat. Thank you so much. So today's Torah portion, Matot Masei, gives us a very instructive history lesson. So it's very important for us. And I want to, to read uh, this place of scripture. It's Numbers chapter 32. And I want to invite you to read it with me because it is very interesting and very important lesson for all of us. So please join me in reading this. Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. The descendants of Ruvin and the descendants of God had vast, vast quantities of livestock. So I want to share this story. Now people of Israel came to Jordan. They came to the promised land. They are on the border of the promised land. Only one step and they will be in the promised land. And this is what's going on in Numbers chapter 32. When they saw that the land of Yazer, it's right before the promised land, and the land of Gilead were good for livestock, the descendants of God and of Ruvin came and spoke to Moshe, Eleazar, the Kohen, and the community leaders. They said, so let's read verse 4. What did they say? The country that Adonai conquered before the community of Israel is livestock country, and your servants have livestock. If you regard us favorably, they went on, let this land be given to your servants as their possession. And don't have us across the Jordan or Jordan. And verse 17, we know what's happened there. They were so... Um, Moses was so angry and so frustrated with them. But let's read verse 17. They start telling Moses and um, high priest and elders of Israel. But we ourselves will be armed and ready for action to march at the head of the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. Our little ones will stay in the fortified cities here because of the people now living in the land. Verse 18. However, we will not return to our own homes until every in possession of his land for inheritance. What a story. What's interesting story here? So here's the story. The time had come. The 12 tribes of Israel were reaching the end of their 40-year journey. Can you imagine? Lifelong journey, 40 years in the wilderness, with only one idea, with only one goal, with only one dream, to enter into the promised land. They were approaching the land which the Lord had promised them. The land for which they had suffered so much, had endured so many trials. So there, there, 12 tribes, it's a miracle. It's the answer from the Lord. They're ready to cross the Jordan, but the tribes of God and Ruvin and the half-tribe of Manasseh seemed to lose their focus. They saw that the land on the near side of the Jordan was a rich land. It had beautiful pasture to feed their cattle. It wasn't quite the promised land, 
but it was very close. After all, their cows would be happy there on the near side of the Jordan. So I would like to capture our idea on the near side of the Jordan. What had happened to their hearts? What happened to their vision? To their dream of finally entering into God's promise? What happened with them? Newsflash, God's promise was actually to the cows, not to them. So they came to Moses, God and Ruvin and the half of Manasseh and explained to Moses that they preferred not to enter the promised land because of the cows. You know the story. So their explanation was very easy, very simple and so important to them. So how did Moses react? Let's think about it. He was incredulous. The dream that drove him, the goal of his life was to enter the land with his people. He was ready to do that. Only to learn that the Lord will not allow him in because of his disobedience. But now here are the people, people who can cross the river and take the land and they are not interested in it. They, it's simply a credible story. They were almost there, but they don't interest him to cross the land. Yeah, they said to him, everything will be okay. After all, when the other tribes must fight to take the promised land, they will join the other tribes in war. They even agreed to be the first in the battle, the first to take on the enemy, the first to absorb the arrows, the first to die for someone else's promised land, if only the survivors can return to live on the near side of Jordan. This is the very important part, the near side of Jordan. What a sad and powerful example for all of us today. After I read this story, I asked myself a question. Would I have spent 40 years wandering the desert in search of a cow pasture? And the real question it is, do we have a happy herd of cows in our life? What has it cost us? If we read story, whole full story, we can find later what happened with these people. Uh, finally, they decided to build an altar in their own land near the Jordan. They said to Moses and to people of Israel that it is only a memorial for us and for you, for the tribes of Israel. But later, they began to bring sacrifice there on this altar. altar. These tribes were the first of Israel to return to idol worship. They were the first to fall to the Assyrians and to be led away into captivity. And this is the main idea today. The benefits of their decision were immediate and positive, but the cost was devastating for them. I want to read the cost of it. It's in First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 25 and 26. And this is kind of an end story for them. This is the end of, uh, of story, the full story. Verse 25, First Chronicles 5, verse 25. But these two tribes, but they broke faith with the God of their ancestors and prostituted themselves to the gods of the peoples of the land whom God has destroyed ahead of them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Ashur, and the spirit of Tilgad Pineser, king of Ashur, and he carried them away as captives. The Ruvini, the Gadi, and the half-tribe of Menashe and brought them to Halah, Havor, Hara, and to the Gazan River, where they are to this day. So what a difficult story for them. Once they had hope, once they had faith, once they realized God's call on their life, once they understood the purpose of the journey, but eventually 
those understandings became obscure and not so important for them. They began to think it was for only their own sakes that God redeemed them to this new life. They began to think that God brought them only in order to arrange their comfortable lives for their cows, for their herds. So it is tempting to forget that the Lord's call to the promised land is a call to ministry and priesthood. And it's a very important part. And Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 to 6. And let's read together. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 through 6. This was the heart of their calling. And they forget about it. From verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for mine is all the earth. And verse 6, this is the heart of their calling. And Yah shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which he sh uh, you should speak unto the children of Israel. Perhaps today the Lord wishes to remind us why we come to him, why we came to him. It is not only for our prosperity, but he, also, uh, he blesses us with everything, but he, uh, he called us to be his followers. He called us to be his worshipers. He called us to... To follow him. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 37 and 39, very interesting idea here. I want to read from verse 38. And anyone who does not take up his execution stake and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his own life will lose it. But the person who loses his life for me, for my sake, will find it. Every person who loses his life for my sake will find it. What does it mean? It means that you, you put his goals ahead of your goals. You put his values ahead of your values to cross the Jordan, to enter the promised land, what the Lord prepared for you in your life. I want to remember one of the best known parables of Yeshua. It is in Matthew chapter 13. And I want to briefly read it and to give us some conclusions of today's lesson. It is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. This is the famous parable of, of the sower, sower. From verse 19, whoever hears the message about the kingdom, hears the message about the kingdom, but doesn't understand it, is like the seed sown along the path. The evil one came and seized what was sown in his heart. The seed sown on the rocky ground is like a person who hears the message and accepts it with joy at once, but has no root in himself. So he stays on for a while, but as soon as some trouble or, or persecution arises on account of the message, he immediately falls away. Verse 22. Now the seed sown among thorns stands for someone who hurts the message, but it is chucked by the warriors of the world and the deceitful glamour of wealth, so that it produced nothing. And verse 23, however, and this is about us, however, what was sown on rich soil is the one who hurts the message and understand it. Such a person will surely bear fruit a hundred or sixty or thirty times what was sown. So Yeshua described four types of people. The first one, the first does not understand probably because they don't want to understand. They don't bother with spiritual things and uh, with soul, with anything like that. They just don't listen to the Lord. The second accepts with joy, but does not have fruits. Why? Because they don't want to make extra investments 
and time and energy into kingdom of God. The third gets off a good start. Is faithful to follow the Lord and enjoys blessings and shalom from the Lord. But it seems to require more and more time. And in the end, it just can't keep up the pace. And the last one makes a choice and it is final. Gives time to the most important part of his life. Constantly pays the price and does the will of God to serve his purposes. Such person may say, not my will, but yours be done. Be assured that only the last one will receive the award and will be able to enter the promised land with God. The two tribes walked through the desert for 40 years. Can you imagine 40 years of sacrifice, praying, building the tabernacle, doing all the necessary religious requirements, but they lost their hope. They lost their vision. They lost why they entered into the wilderness. What's the goal for them? In the first Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, I want to read briefly read one place of scripture. First Corinthians 15, 19. If only for this life we have hope in Messiah, we are of all men most miserable. Today the Lord is looking for people who will put their hope on him. So this Torah portion teaches us that we need to pursue, to press in, do not to be satisfied with good things when it is not the will of God for us, but to press in, to go and to continue to enter the promised land of our lives. So the Lord prepared so many beautiful things in our lives and he has called to every one of us and we need to pursue so many distractions around us, so many things going on, so many things happening around, but our calling is to enter the promised land in our lives, in our soul, in our path. Thank you so much for this time and Rabbi David. Thank you, Rabbi Yuri. And um, I've got some technical challenges with my lighting tonight, but I hope I can work through that or that you can um, experience everything okay. And that'll be good enough for us tonight. So I want to talk to you about the thoughts that Rabbi Yuri was was developing. He was he was talking about our great call and seeing beyond um, just ourselves and what's good for us personally, but to see even the great call of God in our lives. And I, and I think about the people who have been exiled from the promised land in times past, and now I. I having listened to Rabbi Yuri, I'm thinking about not the exile, but something similar. It's people who don't enter into all that God has for them because they don't go far enough. They quit too soon. They give up too soon. And they become casualties of their own impatience or their own low goals. They're not prepared, really. They haven't set their heart on the promised land. They haven't set their heart on bearing fruit for the Lord, but rather they've set their heart on some kind of uh, life that they imagine is the best life that's possible for them. Earlier in the Torah passage for this week, in Numbers chapter 31, we read some details about the prophet Balaam or Balaam in Hebrew. And we discover in Numbers 31 verse 8 that Bilam ends up being killed. So he did not escape. According to the earlier passages we read, we may have had the impression that he escaped, but he doesn't escape. It tells us Numbers 31 verse 8, they also killed Bilam, the son of Baor, with a sword. And so Bilam had worked relentlessly to destroy Israel, and ultimately he paid the price for all of his dastardly deeds. Balaam, if you remember, used sorcery and occult practices. He summoned the dead and he had a prophetic method, if you will, that was connected to the dark and the forbidden arts. And he also used the strategy of seduction, 
drawing men of Israel into relations with the cult prostitutes as a means of worshiping false gods because he believed, and he was right, that if the men of Israel were unfaithful to the God of Israel, if they got involved with the cult prostitutes who were serving Baal Peor, then they would be weak spiritually and they would be apart from the blessings of God. We also read in verse 16, Numbers 31, verse 16, that Moses described the, the women of Midian who worked under Bilam's direction. And he said, these are the ones who because of Bilam's advice caused the people of Israel to rebel, breaking faith without an eye in the Peor incident so that the plague broke out among Adonai's community. So with that in mind, let's go now to the Brita Hadashah reading, one portion from this week, Matthew chapter 24, verse 10 through 14. And it's talking about the end times. It's talking about a question that was on the hearts of Yeshua's disciples. When is the end going to come? And he told them about all the troubles that would be visible and would be obvious, wars and rumors of war. There'd be um, different kinds of uh, weather issues and earthquakes and such things. But he then said, this is what to pay most attention to. It's Matthew 24, starting in verse 10. At that time, many will be trapped into betraying and hating each other. Many false prophets will appear and fool many people. And many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from Torah. But whoever holds out till the end will be delivered. And this good news about the kingdom will be announced throughout the whole world as a witness to all the goyim. It is then that the end will come. So let's go through this carefully. It talks about a time of betrayal and a time of hatred. And it also talks about a time when there will be many false prophets. And it's useful then, if we're going to understand what Yeshua is talking about, it's useful to understand what is a false prophet. And thus the reading on Balaam is actually very uh, closely connected with this passage. Balaam is a false prophet. And if we use him as an example, then we can understand the qualities of a false prophet. Number one, they are a mix of good and evil. That's very important to understand because some people think a false prophet is totally false. Not necessarily. In the case of Balaam, he had some good qualities and he even at certain points was able to bless Israel. And in some way, he had a connection with the Lord. But here's the second quality that defines a false prophet, his heart and his way of thinking and his way of living are not committed to the Lord. Yes, he's committed to the supernatural. And in some ways, he's interested in God, but his heart is not repentant towards the Lord. And he does not desire what God desires, nor does he desire what God wants for his life. And here's the third quality. He uses his spiritual power to accomplish his own priorities. And he does not subordinate his desires and priorities to God's desires and priorities. So Yeshua says, beware, be careful. False prophets will fool people. And that raises the question, how? And I think one of the main ways is that people are persuaded by the good part but then they follow after the bad part. They use the good part of a false prophet to prove that this is someone who's doing good and is, if they're a believer, even from the Lord. But the sad thing is they follow after the bad part. This is the case even in many other kinds of situations where someone, someone wins a following or it uses their influence through some of their good qualities, but then they lead people into evil. 
They lead people from their evil desires. It is so dangerous. And you and I need to be very careful to be able to evaluate those who present themselves as being prophetic. But not only that, those who are trying to give leadership in the world today through their government positions, through their positions of authority, or according to the agendas that they have about how they want to remake society or overturn society. All of these people have to be evaluated to determine, are they false? Are they a mix of good and evil? Or are they good? And it's so important not to follow after the bad part of what they're doing. Let's go on to the next part in verse 12. It says, love will grow cold. The, the love growing cold is an important point to take notice of. And let's just put this in the comments. If you would write this now in the comment section, love can grow cold. Love can grow cold. Just because you start with strong love does not mean that love will continue to be strong. Love can grow cold. Love needs to be nurtured. What causes the cool down? What causes the deterioration and the loss of power of love? The statement of Yeshua is very important. He says lawlessness. But it's important to understand lawlessness in this way. It's without Torah. That's so important for our generation. We need a society under the rule of the law. But the law itself is better when it's under the rule of law. That is law under law. Or you could say law under Torah. Law under God's instruction. Now this is tricky in a civil society, in a democratic republic, in a modern pluralistic society like ours. And how can it work? Well, it doesn't work by establishing a theocracy, a theocratic government, or a clerocracy where the clergy, like in Iran, are in charge of the government. How can it work when individuals and interest groups are living faithfully with God and with one another, and they're faithful to the good of the greater society around them, and they mix their truth with love rather than compromising their truth. That's how it can work. We need to hold on to the truth that God has given us, to the love that God has given us, and to the commitment, and it is a prophetic commitment, to seek the good of the city that we're in, to seek the good of our country, and not to give in to despair or pessimism or negativity, and not to think, oh, the end has come. Brothers and sisters, the end comes when all around us, the people who we were looking at have lost their warmth of heart. Let us not be such people. Let us be people rather who can keep going. Let's not focus only on the bad news. As important as all of the problems are that we're facing in this era, these global problems, Let's not focus only on that. Let's also focus on something more, the purposes of God and what God intends to accomplish with us and through us. Let's not sell ourselves short, like Rabbi Yuri was talking about, the, the tribes of Gad and Reuben wanting to just find a place that was good for cows. Let's do more than that. Verse 13, whoever holds out to the end. Another way of putting it is whoever endures to the end. But I think there's something even more than that. Whoever holds on to the ultimate goals and the aims and the purposes of God, the telos, this one will be saved, delivered and rescued. Now let's go to verse 14 because it's really the capstone of this passage. And these are the words of Yeshua. Now we're reading in Stern's, David Stern's Complete Jewish Bible. Verse 14 says this, this good news of the kingdom of God, I want to ask some of you, as many as you can do this, to write in the comments, this good news of the kingdom of God. Put that in the comments and, and let's get as many people writing that as we can so that we really focus our attention on this good news of the kingdom of God. This good news of the kingdom of God will be announced. But it's more than just a proclamation. It's also a demonstration. The, the announcement 
of the good news of the kingdom of God is not only in word, it's also in deed. So we could say this good news of the kingdom of God will be announced and proclaimed and demonstrated in word, in deed, throughout the entire world so that all the nations, and remember what that means, all the ethnic groups, all the different people groups, all the nationalities and ethnicities and cultures and languages and peoples and kin groups, all will see and hear about the excellent good news. So take note of this. All around is trouble. Everywhere there's bad news. But in the midst of that situation of trouble and bad news, Yeshua is reminding us of our mandate. It's to be an oasis of goodness, an oasis of hope, to be able to live with hope, to live in the goodness of God and to be able to talk about it, to be visible to other people and to be making the best of a bad situation. It is, it is at times like this that we need to hone our message about the victory of God, which we're experiencing. And I'm have one last thought. When the old wineskins are breaking, it could be because we've been trying to put new wine in them. Yeshua has taught us something. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. It's important for us to put new wine in new wineskins. You and I are facing many new situations and God is wanting to do new things in these new situations. And it's important for us to adapt to have a Kadima forward-looking view of what's ahead. Not only to be looking back for the good old days, not only to be wishing for the way things were, not only trying to establish normalcy, but something more. We're on a journey. We are on a journey and we're moving forward with God. And you and I have to keep our eyes on God. We have to allow the hope of God and the faith that we have in God to really bathe our hearts and to cleanse us. We have to allow our relationship with the Holy Spirit to produce cleansing for us so that you and I can experience the great things that God has for us. And not only that, so that you and I can share that good news with other people because the good news is not just for us, it's for the whole world. And you and I, as we're living the good news, as we're talking about the good news, as we're experiencing the good news, we need to share it with other people in the midst of a very troubling time, very difficult times. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it, to, to try to make good plans these days because things keep changing. The schools in Florida, the school systems throughout the, the state of Florida, are trying to figure out what will be their plan for reopening school and what's ahead. And it's great challenges. The plans that they made two weeks ago, they're having to adapt. The, the new plans that they made, they're having to adjust. And they're trying to move forward week by week and trying to figure all this out. It's a great challenge. It's a great challenge for the parents, especially those who have um, young children who, who struggle to, to learn online. As, it has, um, as older kids maybe can do it a little bit more easily. But it's also a struggle for any parent that has to go to work. What do you do with your children? You can see how much challenge there is. Well, you and I are called to be praying for people in the midst of these challenges. We're called to live in the oasis of God's goodness and of his hope, to celebrate the goodness of the Lord, to tell each other, good things that have happened. We had some good news for our family. I'll share with you. Our grandson Keegan is at Towson State University and he had had a COVID a test and came back inconclusive. He had another one on Monday and today he got the results and the results were negative. And so we were saying, thank the Lord. We're praising God for that report that he um, definitely does not have COVID-19. Now here's the challenge that comes with, with that news. He has to remain in quarantine for a full 14 days and cannot begin practice. But while he was dealing with this good news, you know what happened? The university conference that they are a part of, 
at Towson State University. The conference, the football conference, decided to cancel the football season for all the university participants. So no football. Who knows what that will turn into for Keegan. But he has good news on one side, a challenge on the other. Our hope is that he'll continue with hope and he'll continue to have a forward view of life and whatever he has to do in this upcoming season, he'll be able to do it. So thank you for praying for him. We want to pray for James White as well. James was able to get an MRI and we're glad for that. That was something that we were praying about. He did get the MRI and it did reveal that um, the source of great pain for him is a severely herniated disc and it's, it's quite painful for him. And so we want to thank the Lord for the MRI. We also want to pray for the upcoming injection he's going to get perhaps in the next few days that may relieve some of the pain and some of the inflammation around the herniated disc. But we're also praying for a clear diagnosis and the right treatment for him, whatever's necessary to resolve this. Let's lift James up. Lord, we lift James up to you and we pray in the name of Yeshua for good treatment for him. We thank you for the MRI that was finally approved and we thank you for the indications that the doctors now have about how to take care of him. But we're asking for a good resolution and a complete resolution for him in Yeshua's name as well. We're continuing to stand in solidarity with Florence Woods as she is um, recovering and in mourning and we're praying, Flo, for your physical well-being, for your strength and for the medical attention that you personally need, all the medical issues that you had to postpone dealing with while you were giving your love and service to your beloved Willie. And uh, I'm so glad that Florence is online with us it's so great when Florence is with us. She is one of the best commenters in our whole mishpocha. She does such a great job with the scripture references and with pull quotes. And Flo, we're really glad for you to be here with us. But let's pray for Florence now. Those of you who are writing in comments, you can add your prayers as well. Lord, we lift Florence up to you in the name of Yeshua. And we pray, Lord, for recovery of strength. We pray for your peace to be with her that surpasses her understanding. And we pray that during this time of mourning, Lord, she would be so close to you and experience your goodness during all of this time. We also want to pray for Sandra Jakes and for her husband. They were exposed to COVID-19, had many serious and painful symptoms, and we want to pray for a complete recovery for them. Lord, we lift the Jakes up to you and we pray for a conclusion to the sickness that they've been experiencing. We pray, Lord, for health and well-being for them and for a return to strength. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. I also want to read to you an email, wonderful email we got from Ethel Holtzman last week. Ethel's part of the Beth Israel Mishpacha, and she wrote, um, there was much about the life from home service that touched me, but I want to share a personal word that came to me when you spoke of Jeremiah thinking he was too young for the calling Abba was presenting to him. When you broaden the concept to include people who think they're too old for a calling, it spoke loudly to me. Sandy was the one who shared that insight with me. I shared that with all of you last week. It's not just young people who might say, I can't do this. Older people can say the same. And Ethel wrote this, I realized how truly blessed I have been by God's calling in my life. And then this word from the Lord came to me. The young who accept a calling from the Lord become mature while the elders who accept a calling are restored to their youth. Blessings she sends to all of us. I think that's a great insight, a, a, a great thought, a great word to her spirit that we can share together. That young can, can grow up and mature and those who are older can be renewed in their strength. And whether you're young or old, God has something to bless you, bless you with um, if you'll receive his calling in your life. One more thing I want to share before we receive the tithes and the offerings. Um, the <clears throat> Many of you who are part of Beth Israel here in Jacksonville received in the mail the information about 
our plans and the steps that we're taking as we're dealing with how we can have live services in the sanctuary and integrate that with live from home. A lot of information in that packet, including a waiver and an RSV RSVP form. We also sent this by email and you can sign those forms so that you can participate in upcoming services. And here's one of the easy ways to do it. Sign the form and then use your phone to take a picture of the signed form and either email that to Rabbi Yuri and me or text it to Rabbi Yuri and me. And that way you don't have to worry about how can you fax it or how can you put it in the mail. I think some of us have forgotten even how to use uh, postage stamps and envelopes and things like that. But it, it, that's an easy way that you can do it. And the, the ones who sign up first, the ones who return their RSVPs first, will be first in line for the upcoming services that we're looking forward to. Well, I want to give special thanks to everyone at Beth Israel for your continuing support and also for our podcast listeners and for those of you who join us on Facebook Live and Live from Home who have been supporting us. Your giving, your generosity, your cheerful and faithful and steady giving really has made a difference for us. And it enables us to do what we're doing right now as well, to take on the additional challenges of having live services and live from home and blending services from the sanctuary with our online services. It's a big challenge that's gonna take a lot of expense in, in order to pull it off. And um, we're just grateful for your generosity and for your cheerfulness cheerfulness, and your sacrificial giving. Those of you who want to make special offerings in order to support the additional costs of the disinfecting process and janitorial uh, processes, as well as the JSO security that we have, um, you can make designated offerings. Just mark it as a safety, a designated safety offering, one for the safety fund if you're using Giving Fire. And that way it'll go directly to support that. If you want to participate in supporting Beth Israel and you've meant to do it, but you haven't started yet, one of the easiest ways to get started is to use our online giving platforms, Giving Fire and PayPal. And to find how to do that, you can go to our webpage, bethisraelnow.com giving and you'll find the information you need. It's very easy to set up Giving Fire, very easy to customize it, very easy to set up PayPal as well. And we've had no security breaches whatsoever with these. Right now, I want to close with Aaron's blessing as we normally do at Beth Israel. And let me encourage you about another Aaron, Cantor Aaron. Cantor Aaron Jacobs has his Torah teaser posted on Beth Israel Messianic Synagogue's Facebook page. And you can read, you can watch his Torah teaser rather for this week. It's on the Facebook page, the same page that you're watching right now. When you're finished watching this, you might want to tune into that. So we've got two blessings. We've got the blessing that comes from Cantor Aaron's Torah teaser. And we got the blessing that comes from the high priest, Aaron, the brother of Moses. After Aaron's blessing, we will return to Eric Painter's home for a final worship song. So let's gather together for the blessing of Aaron. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha, ye'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha, yisa Adonai p'navelecha, v'yisam lecha shalom. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep watch over you and protect you, the Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you, the Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of the Prince of Peace, Yeshua, our Messiah. So from Sandy and me, I want to say Shabbat Shalom. Now let's return to Eric Painter. Shabbat Shalom, everyone.
with him. 